folks, Mackenzie Lambert here, your host for Mech in the Movies, where we go through everything from art house to grindhouse. Terribly sorry for the delay. My previous uh, laptop gave up a go, so I had to wait until I saved up enough money just to buy uh, the laptop I'm using now, uh, just until I can afford a better one. Um, it's just like a $300 cheapie I bought from Walmart. I don't expect to keep using this at least past the end of the year, so just make do with the best that we have. This episode marks the end of the three-year anniversary of the show and the end of The Wheel of Fulci. We have four more films directed by the maestro himself. What four films are they? Keep listening. All right, let's go ahead and give The Wheel a spin. The New Gladiators opens in the year 2072 with Rome being a dystopia. TV network WBS is struggling to keep up with their American competition, who decimate them with the program Killbike. Killbike is a success and part of fan favorite Drake. Drake has a pass with WBS director of programming, Cortez. The program offered by WBS is Danger Game, where the purpose of the game is to remain calm in a simulation depicting torture. The mysterious boss of WBS comes up with the idea of bringing back the gladiatorial games in the Colosseum. Death Row criminals are brought in and offered a pardon for their crimes, should one be victorious. The game needs a hero for the crowd to get behind. Drake's wife is murdered by three men. Drake is arrested after murdering his wife's attackers. Vigilanteism is banned in the future. Because of Drake taking the law into his hands, he is now thrown into the Gladiator games. Lucio Fulci's The New Gladiators is a mixed bag, with violence and bloodshed being used to cover up the shortcomings of the film. At its most absurd, the film is highly entertaining. At its slowest, it is a slog to get through. 
Outside of the horror genre, Fulci's efforts are hit and miss. When they hit, you have classics like Silver Saddle, Touch of Death, Conquest, and Four of the Apocalypse. When they miss, they really miss. Writing duties were shared with Fulci and collaborators Dardando Sacchetti and his partner Elisa Briganti. The pair wrote for Fulci on his best films during the late 70s and early 80s. This film would mark the final collaboration between Fulci and Sacchetti due to accusations by Sacchetti that Fulci stole a story from him. Musical duties were handled by Riz Ortolani. He plays into the atmosphere of the film with a synth-heavy score. We've heard Ortolani's work in previously covered films like Cannibal Holocaust, Mean Frank and Crazy Tony, and Confessions of a Police Captain. Jared Martin took on the role of Drake, the star contestant. He has the charisma to be a believable fan favorite. I wasn't familiar with him before this film, uh, but he appeared on television staples like Airwolf, Knight Rider, and The Incredible Hulk. There's no shortage of great character actors in the supporting roles. Al Cliver, Hal Yamanucci, Donald O'Brien, and the iconic Fred the Hammer Williamson. The New Gladiators is a film that may disappoint gorehounds due to the lack of frequent violence as seen in Fulci's other films of the time. If you're patient, the absurdity and the gallery of supporting performances will keep you entertained. Still, there's Riz Ortolani and the likes of Al Cliver and Fred the Hammer Williamson hamming up the screen. Alright, and now for the next movie. What do you want? To dedicate a murder to you. Somebody called for you. Yeah, who? The guy with a strange voice. Said he'd call you back. He sounded just like a duck. Just like a duck? If the guy who attacked you is our friend who calls and talks like a duck, well... He's made his first big mistake. Yeah. Anyway, we've got all five boroughs alerted, and we'll also inform all the radio stations. Shouldn't be too hard to find a guy missing two fingers in his right hand. Poor dumb cop! <laughs> you don't think I'm supposed to be supposed to let you pinpoint me with your stupid crazy machines, do you? <laughs> <laughs> the next victim. So you think you'll do it again? Oh, yes. Ah! 
The New York Ripper opens with a man walking his dog along the harbor. When he plays fetch, his dog returns with an unexpected find, a disembodied hand. Shortly after, a woman is savagely murdered on a ferry. Soon, Detective Fred Williams and the NYPD are taunted by a Ripper-type killer using a Donald Duck voice on phone calls. The New York Ripper is a slasher film in the vein of William Lustig's Maniac. It's gory, violent, but an odd film in Fulci's filmography coming off his peak late 70s, early 80s horror films. This one lacks the dreamy atmosphere, instead opting to showcase the pre-Giuliani griminess, akin to Nighthawks, Slime City, or going back further with the French Connection. One of the elements I love about films shot in New York City around this time is when the filmmakers use 42nd Street. This is at the height of the Grindhouse Theaters. I can't help but look at the marquees in the background to see what's playing. One theater was showing Nighthawks with Sylvester Stallone double-billed with an American werewolf in London. New York Ripper marks a point where Fulci offers a violent film because that was expected in a number of markets. In Japan, gory films like this were hit makers. The New York Ripper has grown to be a favorite of Fulci fans, yet the straightforwardness and the degree of realism of the violence makes this a departure of his fantastical films of which he made a name for himself. Vincenzo Tomasi is the editor, which should come as no surprise, but there is one sequence where he cuts back and forth between three characters. There are seven or eight edits in a matter of seconds. It's a quick-paced moment in a film that doesn't rush itself. Taking over musical duties would be composer Francesco Tomasi. The title theme resembles something you would expect for a television show, a la Kojak or Barnaby Jones. When there needs to be tension, Damasi delivers as well. Uh, Damasi's best-known work would be for the Enzo G. Castellari classic, Inglorious Bastards. Lerdano Sacchetti handles the screenplay. He does a great job taking cues of the classic Ripper from Victorian England and transplants the scenario into early 80s New York City. Jack Heatley took on the role of Detective Fred Williams. He is the obsession of the killer, showing his frustration of being one or two steps behind the killer. Hidley would be recognized to Bond fans as Havelock from Roger Moore's For Your Eyes Only. The supporting cast features Fulci regulars like Paolo Malco of House by the Cemetery, Cinzia De Ponti from Manhattan Baby, Daniel Doria from The Black Cat, Cosimo Sinieri also from Manhattan Baby, and Andrea Acquipinti from Conquest. The New York Ripper is a film from Fulci with an edge. Uh, this is not his fantastical gore films littered with supernatural elements. This is Fulci trying to outdo William Lustig and giving Lustig a run for his money. If you have the stomach, you'll get a lot out of New York Ripper. Alright, let's give the wheel another spin.
Interband focuses on Luca, one of the top smugglers in Italy who brings in illegal cigarettes. He's one of the most revered members of the business. Unfortunately, his success has gotten the attention of the Marzillier. The Marzillier wants to use Luca's connections to bring his narcotics into the country. When Luca refuses, the Marzillier uses violent measures on Luca's associates to strong-arm him into agreement. The Marzillier goes after Luca's family, and this takes Luca to a point of no return. With the help of the old guard, Luca takes the fight to the Marzillier full force. What follows is one of the bloodiest shootouts in film. Contraband marks the one time Fulci dabbled in the subgenre of Eurocrime, a field dominated by the likes of Enzo G. Castellari and Umberto Lenzi. Some have mistakenly categorized the film as Poliziotesci, but this one doesn't center on a cop who turns to vigilanteism. This is a member of organized crime taking out reckless invaders into his racket. Contraband has an interesting spot in Fulci's filmography nestled between Zombie and City of the Living Dead. It was as if the intense gore came with Fulci's filmmaking territory. The gore of his, four of his horror films seeps into this Eurocrime entry with heads shot up, hoodlums machine gunned, and quite possibly the biggest blood squib ever on film from both barrels of a sawed-off shotgun. It's a shame the trailers spoil this moment because you will jump out of your chair when you see it. Fulci's collaborators return with this film. Sergio Salvati is the cinematographer. Vincenzo Tomasi is the editor. Fabio Frizzi offers a funk rock music score that is a contrast to his horror work with Fulci. The main theme is a real treat with one of the best bass lines ever. The use of equatorial percussion is likely the influence of colleague Claudio Simonetti, who was born and spent a number of years in Brazil. Eurocrime has its roots in a few films, one of them being the William Friedkin classic, The French Connection. It was so much of an influence on Fulci, he casted Marcel Buzofi as the Marzillier. Buzofi was the henchman of the main antagonist, Charnier, to Popeye Doyle in The French Connection. Fabio Testi owns the screen as Luca the Smuggler. He brings his lead man A-game and holds his own opposite of Buzofi. We've seen Testi frequently on this show, whether it's The Big Racket, The Heroin Busters, What Have You Done to Solange, and For the Apocalypse. Buzofi plays the Marzillier as a true scumbag. He exhibits extreme violence against both men and women. The guy who gets machine gunned in the face is on the receiving end of the Marzillier. One woman gets a blowtorch to the face from trying to cheat the Marzillier. Fair warning, uh, this might be a strong movie to stomach for some viewers. Saverio Marconi plays Luigi Perlante, the connection between Luca and the Marzillier, who ends up being a turncoat against Luca. Shocker, I know. He plays the role I would imagine uh, Steve Buscemi would play it. Romano Papo plays the infamous henchman to the Marzillier. He's the go-to hitman as well as an on-call rapist. If you've seen enough Italian genre films, you know who Romano Papo is. He was one of the go-to bad guy actors. Oh, and uh, we have a Nello Pazzafini alert. Fulci cameos as an old-school mobster with one of my favorite machine guns, the Fabrica de Armi Pietro Beretta Model 12. If you only know Fulci is a horror director, and by now that disillusionment should be dissipated... Yet, Contraband was the only time Fulci ventured in Eurocrime. Uh, this is a film of his 
well worth watching because it is a genre change of scenery for him. You've got Fabio Testi being a badass as usual. Marcel Buzofi steals the film as the Marzillier. Fabio Frizzi offers a kick-ass music score. The best, biggest blood squib ever on film. Highly recommended for Fulci fans, new and old. Alright, now let's give the Wheel of Fulci one last spin. I'm not sure that it was a good idea to work in the museum. What kind of lunatic could be responsible for this? opens in Paris in the year 1900. A married couple is murdered with the only survivor being their child. Flash forward to Rome 1912. There is the opening of a wax museum under the ownership of Dr. Boris Volkov. We find out Sonia, who works at the museum as the costume designer, was the little girl who survived the attack in Paris 12 years earlier. With the museum open, the typical incidents happen with people brutally murdered who investigate or find out the grisly secret. If you've seen Mystery of the Wax Museum with Lionel Atwell or House of Wax 3D with Vincent Price, you kind of know what you're in for. In fact, while promoting the film, it was publicly claimed that the film was inspired by the Gaston Leroux short story, The Waxwork Museum, in the hopes of preventing any legal entanglements from Warner Brothers. The origins of the wax mask can be traced back to 1994. Dario Argento was at a film festival where he encountered his longtime filmmaker rival, Lucio Fulci. Argento was saddened by the state the wheelchair-bound Fulci was in, Fulci was about to have a serious operation and Argento felt a film project would aid in Fulci's recovery. That film would be Wax Mask. Sally, Fulci would pass away due to complications with diabetes in 1996. Argento would put directorial responsibilities on effects artist Sergio Stivaletti. The film would serve as much a horror tale as a special effects showcase for Stivaletti. Uh, there's a few highlights. You have the split monkey, which made me think of the split dog from Return of the Living Dead. It's 1912, and you have a literal Terminator in a scene that starts with the typical cliche of an Argento giallo. POV shots of an unknown figure wearing black gloves. Director Civiletti is having a ball with these special effects, ranging from animatronics to makeup appliances to even CGI morphine. Man, talk about the 90s. His nine directorial credits pale to his 48 special effects credits. Uh, the film that stands out in that field is Cemetery Man. Highly recommended. Robert Hossein played the suspicious Dr. Boris Volkov. Hossein was a regular in Italian cinema. 
And he got to share the screen with the likes of the late Jean-Paul Belmondo and the screen siren Brigitte Bardot. Romina Mondello was the lovely Sonia, the museum costume designer. I don't recognize her other credits. She serves as the eye candy of the film, frequently showing her perky bosoms. Keep an eye out for stuntman Massimo Vanni in a brief role. Wax Mask wasn't the last film I spun for The Wheel of Fulci, but I felt it was the most appropriate to end on. It was the last film Fulci worked on with a career that showed he wasn't one to be pigeonholed, despite being known as a horror director. I was pleasantly surprised by the films I watched for Wheel of Fulci, and I do plan on looking at his other films, but that won't be for a long while. I originally intended to have a three tenors here. Unfortunately, they are still saved as video pad files, so I can't access them until I re-download the program. The computer I have now is so underpowered, the ones I don't have as video pad files will have to make do. I will have one up next time for sure. I'll have VideoPad once I get a laptop with more horsepower. Uh, just a few months and I'll be back to recording how I used to with VideoPad and SoundTap. I'm not liking my experience with Audacity. And that ends this episode of Mac and the Movies. Thanks for listening. Next time we start my celebration of Halloween. What better way than with the Halloween series? Uh, we'll be going from the original Halloween in 1978 to the 2018 Halloween retcon. No Rob Zombie films because I think they're terrible and we'll use them for a remake episode. No Halloween kills because I'm not ready for the theaters yet and I have no interest in Peacock. Uh, hopefully that first episode will be up on the first weekend of October. Uh, not sure if it's going to be the first or second, but definitely I'll have it up by the uh, definitely uh, third at the latest. If you like this content and would like to see the program grow, sharing this podcast will be an immense help. If you love movies, be they low budget, obscure, controversial, badass, or any other descriptor you wish to use, just help get this show out there. I do have a PayPal or Venmo as tip jars. Support the media you watch or listen to. Spread the word or chip in a buck or two. You can find me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Until then, this is Mackenzie Lambert for Making the Movies, signing off.